Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Peter Shirelli out and Keith Gretzky in for the interim as general manager. The Edmonton Oilers have an existential question to ask themselves. Are they really all in on making the playoffs this season? Which would surely mean trading away future prospects in the form of young players or draft picks? Or are they willing to ride through the storm no matter the cost? That cost being potentially no playoffs for them this spring. I'm Craig Ellingson, host of Oil Spills. I talked to Derek Van Dies, who covers the Oilers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun, about this from a variety of angles. About Oilers star Connor McDavid's statement of belief at the recent NHL All-Star game that his team can indeed make the postseason despite their stumbles over the last two months. About the Oilers' new quest for a general manager after firing Shirelli. Or should that be a quest for a whole new management team? About the return of Oscar Clefbaum to the Oilers' defensive core and its impact. And about the Oilers and the NHL trade market, what they should target and what should and should not try to deal for the pieces they need. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, January 29th, 2019. So Derek... Edmonton's going to get the NHL All-Star game or the NHL draft here in the next few years as Rogers Place and the Ice District come into being, particularly, well, obviously the arena's into being, but the Ice Church District is still being built. Um, but once it's in, what, 2021, 2022, mm-hmm. maybe we'll have it all done, as done as it's going to be for the time being, and then they'll want to bring one of those events in. My vote after watching the All-Star game on the weekend is the draft. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. Hockey nerd. I love the draft. I, you know, all the lead up to the draft and wondering who the players uh, teams are going to take. Whether they're first rounders or seventh rounders. I, I watch it all. Yeah. I like that. And I think a lot of people in Edmonton do too, since there's quite a few hockey nerds out there. Not everybody. You know, the more casual fan doesn't know who, you know, Jujar Cairo was in 2013 when he was taken, I think, in the fifth round. Yeah. But um, they know who he is now. But that's the point. I mean, some of these guys are going to, 
surprise you from these later rounds. At the same time, I get it. You know, no one knows who George Smith from, uh, you know, name your t- small town or place in Canada. Um, never mind Finland or Sweden or the U.S. or wherever. They don't know who these kids are because yeah. they're not on television every night like they are in the NHL. So I understand why the average Joe fan on the streets would want the NHL All-Star game because you know who Connor McDavid is, who Sidney Crosby is, Alex Ovechkin if he decides not to skip it, stuff like that. Yeah. At the same time, while I can appreciate that watching the skills competition and watching how fast McDavid can skate, never mind others, including the women, never mind seeing how hard someone can shoot the slap shot, how great a pass or dry saddle or somebody else is, I get it. That's great. What is that, two hours of your time, three hours of your time probably? But the games are dreadful. I mean, I know they're three-on-three, but I'm watching these. It's just breakaway after breakaway, people standing up and taking a breather. Coaches mic'd up behind the bench. The name commentary that comes out of that. I mean, for the more informed, enlightened hockey fan, uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard to listen to. Average fan, I get it. Maybe yeah. there's a little more appeal to it, but even then, I mean, they're not really saying anything. Ha, ha, ha. There's some laughs behind the bench. Scott Oak gets to pull the goalie. Ha, ha. Very funny. Scott Oak is a CBC commentator for you know, a long time for Hockey Night in Canada, and he pulled the goalie for John Cooper during one of the games, head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Metropolitan, no, Atlantic Division in that game. Anyway, I know the NHL, I mean, this has been true of the Ulster game since, you know, who knows when. Um, probably since the Howie Morenz benefit in 1938 or whatever year it was. So you're not going to have high competition. The guys aren't going to be hitting each other. They're not exactly, you know, looking, you know, trying to win that hard. Yeah. I know there was a million bucks on the line for the winning team. But um, anyway, I don't know how you feel about it. Well, the way I feel it is, to, to me, you're right. I, I thought the, the on-ice product was was – was wasn't very good, and I to me the commentary bothered me. It, it, it just it, it it kind of I I I can kind of see the appeal to it, but just you know listen to guys talk on the bench and on the ice, and it just it just didn't appeal to me. Um, but I think the opportunity to get all the stars in the NHL under one building, and if it's your building, I think there's something to said to be said for that. And I think what All-Star Weekend makes it exciting is not necessarily the game itself. The game is probably the worst part of All-Star Weekend. And I think the fan zones and, and the fact that the player interactions and everything else is around here is that you could walk down the street in downtown Edmonton and bump into Sidney Crosby and then bump into Alex Ovechkin and bump into... like I think that's what kind of makes it exciting is that all these guys are here in town um, as opposed to the draft where you got all these kids that nobody... You're right. You, after the first five picks of the draft, no one really knows who these kids are. And unless you are an astute hockey guy um, that's been studying and that's been watching these junior leagues or studying all these all these lists and whatever it is, I think once you find out who goes first, second, and third, then it kind of really drops off. And uh, to me, I think it would be more about just the energy that would, an all-star game would bring as opposed to the draft. I, the draft would be exciting, but again you don't have the the game's biggest stars all in your town and i think that's what kind of makes the appeal is and you and you're right the, the game itself is dreadful and it, it's 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 hard to watch sometimes it's hard to get through but i just think that just the energy and excitement of having all these people here would make it interesting in my opinion to have it here in edmonton you know on the business standpoint too i mean all-star game 
most, almost all the fans that are coming for that are local. Yeah. No one's filling a hotel for that. On the flip side, with the players and their families and whoever else is coming to town, I guess there's probably some uh, you know, hotel benefit from that. Never mm-hmm. mind all of the NHL scouts and, and executives coming in from out of town. And, you know, that's got to be a quite sizable thing. I haven't you know, gone back and looked to see previous drafts, what kind of a uh, moneymaker that is for a city. Um, but there's something there to it. Here's my modest proposal because you know what? I mean, the All-Star game versus the draft thing, yeah. that goes back so far, right? My modest proposal is for Edmonton to have both. Yeah. I mean, if it's not the same year, then maybe one year of the draft, the next year the All-Star game or vice versa, or at least within the next three years. Because Edmonton is a very huge hockey market. I mean, obviously it's the biggest professional game Edmonton's got, and it's likely the only one that's ever going to have until, you know, a new outer space ball is created or some crazy game or soccer, who knows, overtakes it somehow, some way, but I can't see that happening in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, you know, and Gary Bettman in addressing, you know, concerns at the All-Star game about Edmonton and its situation because they can't get any traction and they're, you know, even with Connor McDavid, they can't seem to be a contending team here two years mm-hmm. after making the playoffs. He called Edmonton a well-owned team. I mean, that to him suggests that it's on solid footing and that we have a very passionate fan base, and that's pretty apparent. It's true for all Canadian teams, if not most of them. I mean, you know, maybe if things got as bad as they are in Ottawa sometimes, maybe there would be fewer fans in the stands. But fans in Edmonton have been sticking with this team, obviously through this decade of darkness plus filling the building and buying the stuff because otherwise we wouldn't have had Daryl Kate step in, buy the team from the uh, investors group and, you know, basically spur the building of this brand new arena we have, which is, you know, going on three years old now. Mm-hmm. So I think that Edmonton should get both in within two, three years of each other. I don't think you have it the same year. I don't think that's unprecedented. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad ask because the Ulster game takes place during Edmonton's worst weather it's cold. It yeah. can be. I mean, it's not cold this weekend, mind you. Pretty uh, balmy for Edmonton on average, and maybe because of climate change, we'll always have these temperatures. But you know what? It wasn't that long ago when we were minus thirty-five on yeah. January twenty-seventh. You, know, you can expect that. Yeah. And I don't think that's a great showcase for the if you're the city of Edmonton wanting an event, bringing in like all the NHL stars and all the media attention from all over the continents, if not the world, to frozen tundra of Edmonton. <laughs> The draft is a way better showcase for weather or if you want any tourism here, even though I don't think Edmonton's really a true touristy town. Every city wants tourism. Every city wants money coming in. I get it. But, you know, if you're trying to sell Edmonton to, you know, your prospects and uh, bring them in during the draft in in June, not certainly not January. Well, I mean, not that you're going to be convincing Steven Stamkos to sign in Edmonton necessarily. (laughs) Anyways. But I'll use that as a segue because at the All-Star game, they obviously have this huge media day before the All-Star uh, festivities or the on-ice portions get kicked off. And Connor McDavid was front and center, the focus of, you know, all, I would imagine almost all media when he was available. And, you know, the big questions for him were, uh, I don't, he didn't say much about GM uh, Peter Scholle getting fired a few days beforehand. But, you know, the question out there about, you know, the owner's performance this year, obviously it's below expectations. But, 
you know, the suggestion that would you ever want to leave Evanston because you guys are losing all the time? And I liked his response because he's professional. I mean, what, what he thinks in the back of his mind, who really knows? Maybe his girlfriend knows and his parents know. But he said, I want to be here because I want to be part of the solution. Yeah. And that's the that's – the, that's the, this team superstar who's signed here for the next – this year and the next seven. He's the guy. The orders aren't going to trade him. And to hear him say that – and I know he's a relatively reserved guy when you compare him to others. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad he's, he went out and said that. He wasn't trying you – know, obviously every Oilers fan feels the same way. Yeah. Well, he's not the first guy to say that. And I think this whole narrative of – we got to rescue these players from Edmonton. We got to rescue these players from that comes from out east, and yeah. that comes from Toronto, uh, Toronto, where and the center where you know right now things are going well for the Maple Leafs. But this is the Maple Leafs are an organization that's been you talk about dysfunctional organizations. <laughs> you, you point to the Toronto Maple Leafs; they were dysfunctional for years and years and years and years. Isn't this is an organization to put it to you that has never won more than two rounds of the playoffs? Uh, and it's this oh, wait, going, they going did, back to they did before 1967. Well, no, in the there's only four <laughs> teams in the playoffs. So, oh, right, right. So they've so they won the Stanley Cup, but they only had to beat win two rounds. So they've never gone beyond that. They've never won three rounds and gone to the Stanley Cup Finals since. So they've only only won two rounds of the playoffs. So for our, for someone from Toronto to say that, point their finger and say, look at that dysfunctional organization. I'm saying, Edmonton has its problems, and it, and Gary Bettman's right. It does have good ownership in a sense that the owner has money and he's stable, and it's it's not a, a situation where you have in Arizona or Florida where you're always kind of finding trying to get new people to rescue that franchise. It's stable in that regard. It has bad management. It's been managed really poorly since Daryl Cage took over, and because it's been managed because he wants to run this organization with his friends. Um, he hires friends. He doesn't necessarily hire the best people for the job. He hires people that kind of are acquaintances. And you look down the roster of the orders management and the orders scouting staff and people on the front in the front office and wherever. And there's nepotism all throughout this organization. So that's that's a problem. That's something that whoever comes in here has to weed that out and weed out all these problems and weed out. Uh, the brothers working here for the organization and the stepfathers working here for the organization and, and, and all the other names working for the organization. Well, that's one thing. But McDavid has never, ever said, you know, I can't make it work here because it's not working. Taylor Hall never said that. Jordan Everly never said that. Sam Gagne never said that. Everyone that's been here in the during the decade of darkness says, hey, I want to be part of the solution. I want to help this team get out of this quagmire that we're in. And McDavid is the same way. McDavid probably has the skills to do it more than anyone else did. But Taylor Hall loved it here. And I know that's hard for people in Toronto to believe because he's from Toronto, but he loved playing here. He didn't want to leave here. He, he Basically, he was upset for an entire year that he was traded, and he felt a little blindsided by Peter Shirley when he was traded. Sam Gagne never wanted to leave here. Andrew Cogliano never wanted to leave here. These guys, I've talked to them since they've been traded, and they've all said the same thing. We, we didn't want to leave Edmonton. We wanted to make it work there, and these players want to make it work here. So this narrative that this is kind of a, uh, a, a terrible organization, that players come in here and they just want to get out, is it, it, not true. And all you have to do is talk to one of these players and talk to someone that, that have gone through Edmonton and, and how the organization has treated them. It's, they love being here. They love playing for this fan base. And they're not asking to get out. So there's no one needs rescuing. What, what this organization needs is to be run better 
from the top on down. It needs to be run like a professional hockey team. And, and as you know, I take this from Rob Tichkowski, he calls it a treehouse. Stop running the organization like a treehouse with all your buddies coming in here and saying, hey, look, we've got a professional hockey team. We're going to run it this way. Hire the best people for the job. And I think that's what the Edmonton Oilers have not done since day one, since Daryl Cates took over. And uh, he hired his friends and his buddies and his acquaintances. And, and that's, that's, that's why they're in this problem, right? That's why they're in this issue in this situation because they're not hiring the best people for the job. Yeah. You know, and since you mentioned it, because I was trying to keep the segment about McDavid, but yes, that is another thing I was going to talk about a little later. Here are all these papers I'm wrestling. It's (laughs) it's in there. Um, But you're not just talking about a general manager then. You're talking about the top guy, the guy who runs everything in the hockey ops. You're talking about Bob Nicholson's job. Exactly. And Bob Nicholson was brought in here five years ago to have audit the entire organization. That's what he said. I'm going to have a look at the entire organization from top to bottom, everybody, and, and see where the problems are. And he did that and didn't solve any of the problems. And I think five years later, we're back in the same spot that they were five years ago when they brought him in. And he's got to take his share of responsibility here. He's the guy that they brought in to fix this mess. And in five years, they haven't moved forward at all. The only thing they have is the number one overall pick again that turned out to be Connor McDavid. That's basically what they have going for them. So I think he's got to look in the mirror. He's got to take some share of the blame here and say, you know what, I did not do my job five years ago. We jumped the gun on Peter Chiarelli because we and, – and this is something that the Oilers have done all the time. They've jumped the gun on things because they think that they know more than other people do. They don't kind of take a step back and say, okay, wait, wait a minute here. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi was passed over by the Columbus Blue Jackets who have a Finnish GM and a Finnish head scout. Why? Let's take a step back and try and figure that out as opposed to, oh, they made a mistake, obviously, and, we, and they went and grabbed the guy. So I think they do that all the time when it comes to drafting players off the board. Oh, they, we know something no one else does. We're, you know, we're taking this guy. We're taking Mitch Morales at 31. And when he was nowhere near that spot, in the draft. We're so trading for Griffin Reinhardt. They're trading for Griffin Reinhardt. Exactly. Trade. <laughs> we're gonna, we know what we're seeing in Griffin Reinhardt. We're going to trade for him. When, when everyone else saw the writing on the wall. So I think that's a, a fundamental shift that the owners have to have to make is that, no, you guys are not the smartest men in the room. And you have to really kind of start taking more time and taking more effort and, and, and kind of thinking a little bit like everyone else does because you guys aren't seeing something that no one else is seeing. Well, I'm kind of liking our conversation now because, you know, we're dovetailing from the McDavid part mm-hmm. into the into the into the executive part. Yeah. Cuz I want to talk about obviously the big question now is who are the orders going to hire for a general manager? And we'll leave the Bob Nicholson stuff aside yeah. for now. Um, but it's we can, you know, certainly talk more about who they should target and why. I mean, the names that are out there right now and, and Jim Madison threw them out there. Yeah. Um, now, Maddie is, you know, he's an old school guy and he knows these names and everybody else knows who they are too. Names like Kelly McCrimmon, Ron Hextall, Mark Hunter. Now, Kelly McCrimmon, I believe being like top of mind for most people because he had, was part of the management group and he's not the general manager, he's an assistant general manager, I believe, with George McPhee being the GM in Vegas. But obviously the Vegas Golden Knights were by far the biggest success story in ever in the NHL for expansion franchises, if not all of professional sports. Stanley Cup final in their first year. I mean, I think McCrimmon was brought on board a year before that. Um, 
before you know before Vegas uh, hit the ice for the first time. Now McCrimmon, you know he uh, Brad McCrimmon's brother. He's from you know he's had been living in Brandon ever since he and I think other people well, bought he the owns team. A Brandon in, weekend, yeah, yeah, bought the team in 19, in the late eighties. Yep. Been running that running that franchise for years and years and years. Uh, had actually quite a lot of success there. Mm-hmm. I mean, led the team to some more than what at least three WHA titles off the top of my head, if not more. Didn't win a Memorial Cup, but then again, Brandon, I don't think won a Memorial Cup yeah. in the modern era. Um, but very good junior hockey executive and owner and coach. And he coached the team right up to 2016 before yeah. he left Vegas. Um, so he's, you know, he obviously had had to be a fairly astute talent uh, evaluator, if not having the staff in place to help him do that. So clearly he knew what he was doing, and he's being given some credit here for the Golden Knight success. So you'd want to bring a guy like that in. And then you have Ron Haxtall, who, you know, was fired from Philly this year. Uh, you know, but some people like uh, the drafting record uh, that the Flyers have under under Ron Haxtall. That's fine. And the same with Mark Hunter. Obviously, like McCrimmon, a long time, maybe not as long as Kelly McCrimmon. I don't think so. No. But the London Knights are a very successful major junior franchise, and he and his brother Dale are front and center of have, having that team where it is uh, continually. But so there's those three guys. Those names are out there, and I'm sure there are others, but those are the three that yeah. you know I was thinking mostly about. But at the same time, you know, all those guys are, you know, they're all in their 50s. They're, they're, they're former players, and at least Hextall and Hunter are. McCrimmon didn't play in the NHL, but he did play. Uh, with the Wee Kings back in the 70s and played college hockey. Um, so, you know, they're all astute, well-respected hockey guys. But, you know, you look at, you know, this, and I know, you know, talking about analytics sometimes is a little tricky. And I understand the orders aren't really into the analytics right now, if not one of the only, if not the only NHL team that doesn't really dedicate itself, or at least part of their attention to it. Don't you think they need to maybe think a little outside the box on their next hire? I do. Uh, I, I do think they need to think outside the box. And let me throw a name at you, Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger, when he was here, was the smartest guy in the room. And I, I really do believe, and if you ever had a situation to talk to Ralph, and you knew how smart this guy was. And this guy was so well-rounded when he was let go from the Edmonton Oilers, Southampton Football Club, and decided, hey, this guy's really smart. We should come and help him to run our football team. And they did, and and he kind of turned that franchise around. Um, And I think in his first or second year there, they had one of their best seasons in the premiership. He's a smart hockey guy. You have to bring in smart hockey guys, and I had this conversation with a couple of scouts down at the Edmonton Oil Kings, and I think the situation with the Edmonton Oilers is if you are a confident guy if you really believe in what you're doing and what your what your what your skill set is, then you're not going to have a problem bringing in people that you think are smarter than you. And you look at some of the hires, you look at some of the success, really successful GMs in the league. A guy like Kenny Holland, for example, whose name should, probably should be on this list because he's kind of from the area. He is not afraid to go out and hire someone smarter than him or someone that he perceives and knows more about hockey than he does, and bring him into the organization. And I think that's what you need in this organization. You need to bring in a guy that's not afraid to say, hey, this guy knows more than I do. I want him on board. This guy knows more than I do. I want him on board. This guy knows more than I do. I want him on board. And I think that the biggest problem 
with the Oilers right now is they're afraid of the smartest guy in the room because they were afraid of Ralph Kruger because Ralph Kruger said to him, you know what, guys? You want to play a certain style of hockey, you can't do it with this group of players. We have to play it this way to make it successful. And he almost and he almost pulled it off. But they realized, hey, Ralph is not on board. He's not pulling the way we want to pull. So they cut him loose. And I think Daryl Cates has to recognize that. And I think it starts with him. He needs to bring in people that are smarter than he is. And when, you, when you're a, a billionaire and you've been as successful as you have been, maybe that's tough to do. Maybe that's tough to, to, to think that way, to think that anyone is smarter than you are. But the way he's approached his hockey team, that's what you have to do. You have to bring in a guy like that. I think Mark Hunter would be perfect for this job. But if they said to him, Mark, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want with this organization. Get rid of whatever scouts you want. Get rid of whatever former orders you want. You have the ability to do whatever you want with this team. And I think that's going to be the tough sell because anyone that comes into this is going to say, well, do I have to listen to the owner when he suggests that I trade for a player? Do I have to listen to Craig McTavish? Do I have to still listen to Scott Housen? How much influence are these guys still going to have? Do I have to listen to Wayne Gretzky? I know he's on the payroll. Do I have to listen to call Paul Coffey? Who are the who are the influences? Or can I just come in here and gas them all and bring in my own people? So I think that's the big issue with the Edmonton owners right now. I can't say it any better than that, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wrote, I wrote down a bunch of stuff, you know, like analytics this, analytics that. And, of course, if the orders are going to try to keep up with the rest of the NHL, they have to incorporate that. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw during the All-Star weekend, but even, you know, a couple of weeks beforehand, you know, the NHL introduced, uh, you know, or, or showed people the technology behind being able to track players and track the puck and all kinds of different things. And I think we all know that, you know, uh, a new era is here in terms of uh, analyzing what players do on the ice and, you know, statistics, the use of numbers in a, in a lot bigger ways. I mean, you know, the Maple Leafs have employed Kyle Dubas for the last five years. He's now the general manager. But he came from, you know, analytics background. Uh, same with the GM and president of hockey operations in Arizona, John John Ch- Chaba, he's uh, he's obviously that's where he comes from. Yeah, he's not working out as well as Dubis is, but I think no, that's true. Dubis is getting a lot of credit for the work Lou Lamorello did and Mark Hunter did, mm. and I think that's one of the situations right now. Those guys put in the ground. Those guys are hockey guys. They know what they see, and and I, I I'm not a huge I'm not a analytics or nothing guy. I know these a lot of these analytics guys are like if you don't believe in analytics then you don't know what you're talking about. But you still character and heart and hard work and determination. There's still a lot of analytics for that, and you have to put into that, and you have to be able to to judge that and be a good judge of character. And I think guys like Lou Lamarillo and Mark Hunter are. They have character guys on their team. They have character. They have draft character players, and they don't just look at numbers. And I think I want to see when when the Leafs get up to the crunch cap, when they have to open the books for Marner and Matthews, how smart of a guy Nick du- uh, du- Kyle Dubas is going to be, because he didn't build this team. He inherited this team, and I was taking a lot of credit for this team for inheriting a very good team where they had a lot of high draft picks. But now, when you have to pay Matthews $10 million, $11 million a year, and you have to pay Marner big money, and you have to pay all those big contracts, and now you're all of a sudden in a cap crunch. Let's see how smart you are. That's when you earn your money as a general manager. You have to be able to manage that cap. And that's something that Peter Shirley had no idea how to do once he gave out those two big contracts. No clue.
on the McDavid side, another thing about Connor McDavid, you know, beyond you know, put throwing water on the I don't want to leave Edmonton part, which mm-hmm. is which is fine and great, but you know, the season at hand, Connor McDavid doesn't believe that the orders are out of it at all. No, nope. He you know even as we sit here on Tuesday, uh, the 29th of January. Uh, the orders are, you know, before games played tonight, they're only three points back. There are a lot of teams that are in the hunt for the wild card, just as it has been over the last month, uh, you know, particularly the last, let's say, three weeks when the orders dropped a few more games than people thought they should. But they're still in it. I mean, obviously a lot of teams are plotting their way uh, around the wild card spots. Um, so, but, you know, Conor McDavid's comments uh, at the All-Star game and even before he left for the All-Star game, you know, saying he still believes his team has got what it takes, and he very much wants to obviously get this team over the hump and into the playoffs. That's his goal. Obviously, that's every team's goal any given year, no matter who's in the room. So just that attitude alone um, is, of course, it's a good thing. You know, that's what every fan wants to hear, that obviously your lead player on your team has the desire to go out there and win games. You kind of wish it obviously came, say, they beat in Detroit or yeah. whatever. I mean, we can't control all the factors. We can't expect Conor McDavid to just take the team on his back every single night as he tends to do. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, having Oscar Clefbaum return to the lineup, he's pegged to come back for the Oilers' first game back from the break mm-hmm. on February 2nd, Saturday, daytime game in Philadelphia. Um, it is quite astonishing how much the Oilers fell off once Clefbaum left the lineup. Now, Clefbaum had, you know, been putting in the most minutes on the team. Number one defenseman, 27, 28, 30 minutes a night sometimes. He logged, he was a horse, logged a lot of time. He leaves the lineup and, you know, guys move up. Darnell Nurse obviously picked up a lot of that slack and, you know, in a lot of ways did a great job of filling in for Clefbaum. But somebody had to replace Nurse in the lineup below him and, and that's where the problems, I think, came in. You know, Jason Garrison would have stepped in at one point, and obviously Garrison was traded to Florida. Oh, sorry, to Chicago. Um, and, you know, the Oilers brought in Brandon Manning, Alex Petrovic, both the seventh defensemen. You know, they also called up Caleb Jones, but you can't replace Darnell Nurse down in the lineup necessarily. You can't replace Oscar Clefbaum either. Now, Clefbaum and Nurse are not true number one defensemen in my mind. They're not Eric Carlson. They're not Drew Doughty. They're not... P.K. Subban, Brent Burns, on and on. They're not those guys. And that's the kind of defenseman the owners don't have. However, with Clefbaum back, you would hope that the orders would be able to maybe pick things up and play the way they did before Clefbaum left. That was at the beginning of Ken Hitchcock's tenure here. Yeah. You know, because since Clef- Clefbaum left the lineup, gone for 19 games, they went 6-12-1. and Yeah, what happens is when you lose a guy like that, forces everyone to play up in your lineup and basically the Oilers don't have defensemen that can really play up in the lineup um, and I think that's and then uh, now everyone's playing out of their slots and I think that's always a tough part when Clefbaum comes back I envision him it's going to take him a, a week 10 days to kind of get back up to speed and you look at their schedule and the Oilers are really heavy when they come back they play pretty much every other day so they have five games in their first seven days so that's a lot of hockey uh, to be playing with so I think actually that might help Clefbaum trying to kind of get back up to game speed because I know he's going to struggle probably for a little bit just to try and get 
and he's not going to get the same minutes that he got when he was leaving. But his him coming back slots everyone else in the spots that they're supposed to be. And I think that's going to help the Oilers defensively because now you're not – Chris Russell isn't playing up in the lineup. You don't have to play um, Darnell Nurse up in the lineup. I envision Caleb Jones is going uh, to come back uh, because he did very well, and I think they, did, didn't want, they didn't want him taking this time off. They wanted him to kind of keep playing so he can slide back in the lineup and play a third pairing. And now they have a bunch of six and seven defensemen that can, they can kind of in there and slot in. So defensively, when Oscar Kleffaugh returns, I think they will be – not bad. I don't want to say they'll be okay. I think they'll be not bad. The problem is is that they don't have anyone to score outside of the top two lines, and I think that's why it's really important for them to kind of go out, and if they're going to make us run out of the playoffs, they're going to have to go out and get someone that will help them offensively. Clef Farm also does that. He does that. He helps you offensively from the back end. Nurse provides some of that, but basically outside of those two, there's not a lot of offense from that back end. Uh, Benning was supposed to be an offensive player. He hasn't been at, has had as good a year as, as he wanted to. Larson's not going to give you anything offensively. He's totally defensively right now. And I think Larson was struggling a little bit too because they were playing him with Caleb Jones, and now he's got to kind of worry about his game and the rookie's game as well. So I think they re- recognize that, okay, that it's affecting Larson as well. You need Larson to be that big, strong defensive defenseman there. You need him to be that shutdown guy and to be able to take on the first lines. And that's why they traded for him. That's where they got him. Um, and so then if you slip got ball back in the lineup, then you're looking at Russell Nurse, and then you're looking at, I don't know, Jones-Benning or Jones-Petrovic or Manning in there as well. So now you have some depth on your blue line. But I think the issue is going to be they're going to have to move something to get something, somebody up front because they can't go on without having any secondary scoring from the bottom two lines. Trade possibilities. Now, you just mentioned in the previous segment the idea they have to go out and get somebody in order to, well, I would just you know, get into the playoff conversation. We do have about a month before the trade deadline. Um, but what do the orders need? They need a forward. They, I mean, everybody can use a defenseman. Uh, just looking at the lists of what's out there, I mean, there's far more, if you're looking at rentals, guys are you know, going to be unrestricted free agents, there's a way longer list of forwards than there are defensemen. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are practically no true quote-unquote rental defensemen out there. I guess it just depends on the year. And that's probably, it's true every year. I mean, you know, if there's there's Mark Stone in, in, on the forward side, there's Mark Stone in Ottawa. He's probably the number one target of any team yeah. looking to add a forward. You know, he's he's top six material. Michael Furland from Carolina, former Flame. He's also uh, UFA at the end of the year. He would be a target. You know, Gustav Nyquist in Detroit, Wayne Simmons in Philly, um, Jacob Silverberg in Anaheim. I can even throw out Jordan Eberle. Although the Islanders, you know, are obviously on a run, top of their top of their division of that conference at times. No, wait. It can't be top of the conference. It's Tampa. Never mind. Division. Division, yeah. Anyway, so there are definitely possibilities. But when it comes to defense, I mean, outside of Alex Edler in Vancouver, and I would suspect the Canucks might even try to resign him, I, you know, unfortunately in my research before the podcast, I didn't seek out what was going on in that front. But, I mean, there's there's nothing. I mean, unless you're trying to trade for Dougie Hamilton or – Maybe Justin Falk, both from the Hurricanes. You're going to be giving up a lot yep. to get one of those guys back because, we, as we all know, defensemen are a very hotly sought-after commodity. 
Oilers have had limited success in attracting free agents or being able to trade for one. Everybody, it's the same with everybody. I mean, even with Toronto, I mean, they got the wrong Kings defenseman. They really should have tried for Drew Doughty. <laughs> Cap be damned or yeah. just uh, figure it out. But, you know, everybody everybody wants to have a top defenseman, and they're, they're as rare as diamonds, yep. gems. They are. They are, and, and I think those are, those are a good list, list of names, and I think Jim Matheson came up with a, another list of names as well. The one that interests me was Derek Broussard because I think Pittsburgh will take – not much to get him off their roster. He's been kind of disappointing for them this year. And he's, he just hasn't found his game there. But this is a guy that can be effective. And he can be an effective guy and he can score some points for you. So I think that would be an, an attractive option because you're looking at players that can kind of – are legit NHL players, are guys that can play in your top six and are guys that can score and are guys that aren't going to cost you much. And I think that's – the Oilers really had, like handcuffed themselves where they are at the salary cap. And now that you're thinking they don't have a ton of prospects, they have some prospects on the blue line, but those are the prospects teams are going to want. They're not going to want your draft picks. They're going to want your prospects. So you you may have to give up a guy like Caleb Jones. You may have to give up a guy like Ethan Bear to get to help you get in the playoffs. And I think they really have to take a strong look and really have to huddle together and say, how desperate are we to get in the playoffs this year? Like, is this getting the playoffs by any means possible? Or is this a situation where we don't want to kind of ruin it? Like, we don't want to ruin next year's chances of making the playoffs by trying to make a run this year. Like, the last thing you want to do is you make a deal this year and bring in a guy that you're probably not going to sign in the offseason, and you don't get in, and all you've done is hurt your prospects for next season as well. So I think that's something that the Oilers really have to look at. But there are there are some guys out there. Matt Zuccarello is another one that that Jim Matheson mentioned that, that there's a possibility they can bring him in. So th- there are these guys that are, you know, from four to eight guys that can play up and down the lineup. It can help you out. And th- that's the problem right now is that they're not getting any secondary scoring. Tobias Reeder doesn't have a goal yet. Um, Milan Lucic, yeah, he has three goals in the new year, but five on the year. That's 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 not good enough for a $6 million player. Uh, Brodziak's not helping you out. He's supposed to chip in offensively every now and then. And so have, they have too many guys that are just dead weight right now. And you, and you need these guys to contribute in some form or another, and they're not doing that. So you have guys that nobody wants on your roster, so you can't trade them away. And you have to bring in guys that probably make a little more than you can afford. So you have to kind of really manage the cap really well here. And and this is something that the Oilers going forward, they really have to make that decision how bad do we need to get in the playoffs? Like, is this something that the owner, Daryl Kate, says, you, yes, we're going to do everything we can in our power to get in the playoffs short of trading that first-round pick because Bob Nicholson said they weren't trading that first-round pick because that was the really real worry when it came to Peter Shirelli that he was going to deal that first-round pick and not get equal value in return. You know, Nicholson in that, that press conference, you know, uh, dealing with their Shirelli firing, he... His suggestion was obviously the first-round pick, but all their prospects, and they have to get something really good back. I mean, if I'm Keith Gretzky, the interim GM, mm-hmm. I'm not sleeping at night, quite frankly. Uh, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, you, Because, you know, it's clear they do have to try to do something. Yeah. Bring somebody in. But boy, I'll tell you, I mean, you already laid it all out. You're, you're right. I mean, looking at trading one of your prospects, the future, for somebody, and you better get it right. Otherwise, that is a waste. Well, exactly. And, and, and I think what, what Keith Gretzky does have going for him, though, 
that Peter Shirelli did, Keith Gretzky doesn't have a gun to his head trying to make a deal. Mm-hmm. And I think Shirelli was making a deal basically trying to just save his job. And that's and that's always a dangerous prospect when when you have your general manager, the, his only motivation or his biggest motivation was to keep his job because he knew that if he did make the playoffs, he was gone. And eventually someone said, hey, he's, he's, he's not working for the betterment of the organization. He's working for the betterment of Peter Shirelli. He's just trying to save his own bacon here. And we can't have a guy making deals just tr- trying to save himself. And I think that's what Keith Gretzky has. Keith Gretzky's not going anywhere. Regardless of what happens the rest of the season, if the Oilers lose however many, you know, 20 of their last, you know, 30-some games, he's still going to be here. He's still going to be part of the organization. He's still going to be you know, helping develop and, and help draft and develop young players. So there's a little less pressure on him. And now, I don't know how Peter Shirelli ran things. I don't know if it was like my way or the highway, which it seemed like, because I know that there were some people against some of the moves that he made. No one wanted to bring Brandon Manning in. They thought Everyone thought that was a bad idea. And I still, to this day, have trouble finding anyone else that thinks it's a good idea to have made that trade for Brandon Manning. Um, and so I think now, with this group thing that they're going to put together and, and kind of they can bounce ideas off each other. It's not my way or the highway type thing. And I think that might work out better for the Edmonton Oilers. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.